Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Assassin's Creed series of video games has become one of the most popular and economically successful popular media franchises in the world. Spanning across over 20 games and three decades, it's a series of action games that are set in various historical locations, from ancient Egypt to the American and Industrial Revolutions, and primarily revolve around an age-long conflict between two semi-fictional factions, the so-called Assassins and the Templars. And while the more recent games in the series can boast about having some absolutely incredible recreations of historical locations, perhaps some of the best in any media ever, the stories have undeniably become pretty wacky, and plenty of creative freedom is often employed. Of course, this was always the case to some degree, but the very first Assassin's Creed game, released in 2007, actually bases its main plot on real historical events and people. Its story is set in the 1100s and follows Altair, an assassin from the Assassin Brotherhood based in the fortress of Masyaf, and led by the so-called Old Man of the Mountain, referred to in the game as Al-Mu'allim. And all of this, with the exception of the main character, is actually based on real historical events. The assassins are based on an actual historical group who functioned in this region at the time, and who had Masyaf in Syria as one of its main strongholds. So let's explore the historical background and context of the famous assassins. 
The Assassins was a group of Nizari Ismailis, a faction of revolutionary Shi'i Muslims who established powerful fortresses and a fragmented state in Persia and Syria from the uh, 12th or really 11th to the 13th century and who often used, as we will see, some quite unconventional methods, military methods of subduing their opponents. But what are Nizari Ismailis, you may ask? Well, let's back up a few centuries to establish the historical background to this story. As I said, the Ismailis is a branch of Shia Islam, in fact, the second largest branch of Shia Islam today. And this very famous conflict between the Sunni and Shia branches of Islam goes back very far in history, but is often somewhat oversimplified. In simple terms, one of the primary, probably the primary factor in this division between Shia and Sunni Islam uh, relates to the question of authority. Who is the successor or was the successor, the rightful heir to the Prophet Muhammad in terms of religious questions? The so-called Sunnis eventually took the position that it is up to the ulama, religious scholars, to determine what right practice and right belief and so on, what orthodoxy or to answer religious questions for the wider community. The Shiites, however, sometimes called Alids in the early period, held that the succession to Muhammad was instead inherited by the Imams, who are direct descendants of the Prophet through his daughter Fatima and her husband Ali, who is also considered to be the first of these so-called Imams. There is only one imam at any given time who has absolute authority in religious matters until he dies and the succession is carried over to one of his sons, who then hands it over to his son, and so on. But over the centuries, things have changed and developed, of course. The Shiites themselves are divided into various subgroups, disagreeing on which line of imams is the legitimate one. The Ismailis, who we are focusing on today, appear in connection to a conflict of succession after the sixth imam, Jafar al-Sadiq. The group known as the Ithna'ashari, or Twelvers, favored Jafar's younger son, Musa al-Kazim, while another group favored his eldest son, Ismail, hence the name Ismailis, or Ismailia. The Ismailis then continued to be a significant force both politically and intellectually for the coming centuries. They became characterized for their philosophical and esoteric outlook on Islam and the Quran, often being referred to as the Batiniya, which can roughly be translated to the esoterics. Implementing Neoplatonism into their theology and philosophy, as well as other forms of mysticism, the Ismailis have always been a very unique voice in the intellectual tradition of Islam, producing such people as the famous Ikhwan al-Safa, the Brethren of Purity, and Nasir Khusro. On the political front, the Ismailis soon established themselves as a force to be reckoned with when they founded the Fatimid Empire in the early 10th century, which at the height of their power ruled most of North Africa, parts of Syria and the Arabian Peninsula from their base in Cairo, Egypt. The Fatimid period in Egypt and elsewhere has become known for its great advancements in various scientific and artistic fields, as well as a general tolerance shown towards minority groups such as Christians and Jews. 
The leaders of this empire, the caliphs, were also the imams of the Ismailis, and thus served a double function of caliph imams, both the rulers of an empire and the absolute religious authority for Ismaili Shiites. These caliph imams would send missionaries, known as da'i, to various locations around the empire and elsewhere, and this missionary activity was particularly successful in the wider Persian region, where a lot of these missionaries would settle and was very successful in spreading the Dawah, the Ismaili creed, to the population there. And this is where our story starts to pick up. Under the rule of the Caliph Imam al-Mustansir, there appeared an Ismaili Da'i in Persia by the name of Hassan al-Sabah, a very gifted man both in philosophical and intellectual subjects, but especially in terms of political and military strategy. In the name of the Caliph Imam in Cairo, Hassan Sabah managed to establish himself and his Ismaili followers as a political force in western Persia by creating or conquering a group of strongholds or fortresses around the region from which their operations would be based. This region was at the time ruled primarily by the Seljuks, staunch Sunni Muslims who saw the Ismailis not only as a religious opponent, but also as a great political threat because of the Fatimid Empire further west. Hassan Sabah and his followers started to establish themselves as yet another threat to the ruling Seljuks in the region by starting to conquer areas that was ruled by the Seljuks while also fortifying themselves in these mountain fortresses, a tactic that proved to be quite ingenious and very very successful. The main fortress, which functioned almost like a capital for the eastern Ismaili state, was Alamut where Sabah himself resided and which would remain seemingly unconquerable until the coming of the Mongols in the mid-1200s. This period and the rule of the Ismailis from Alamut is referred to today as the Alamut period and lasted from around 1090 when Hassan Sabah established himself to 1256 when the Mongols invaded. Apparently, despite the relatively fragmented nature of the state, the local population seems to have been pretty happy with the rule of the Ismailis at the time. Some sources claim that this was a period of equity and justice, especially compared to earlier periods under the rule of the Seljuks. There was also a great library founded in various of these fortresses, especially a great library in the main fortress of Alamut, where various intellectual activities took place and where great intellectuals like uh, later on Nasser al-Din al-Tuzi, great philosopher and astronomer and scientist, would spend his large amount of his life under the patronage of the Ismaili imam there at the time. But because of the very delicate position of the Ismailis at this time, being constantly under attack from the Seljuks on all sides and also by various other enemies, there wasn't that much time for intellectual activity or philosophical speculation as Hassan Sabah and his followers were forced to you know, fortify themselves into these fortresses to protect themselves. And so most of the energy and activity went into various military and political strategies. Things got even more complicated when the caliph imam in Cairo, al-Mustansir, died in 1094 and there was yet another conflict of succession over who the next imam was. The caliph imam's oldest son, Nizar, had been passed over by the vizier who had instead put another son, al-Musta'ili, on the throne. 
uh, Nizar, the oldest son, was later even imprisoned and killed, and this caused a huge rift in the Ismaili community, one that lasts even to this day. Hassan Sabah and his followers in the east had taken the side of Nizar, and because of this they broke all ties with the new according to them, illegitimate caliph imam al-Musta'ili, and thus officially became an independent state. And all such Ismailis from then on that considered Nizar to have been the rightful successor to al-Mustansir became known as the Nizari Ismailis, which today makes up the majority of Ismailis in the world. So are you with me so far with the branches and names? The Nizaris is a branch of Ismailism, which is a branch of Shiism, which of course in itself is a branch of Islam more generally. It's a good example to show how complex religious identities can be. In any case, the newly established Nizari Ismaili state, which ruled primarily from Alamut, but also in, spread out across various other similar uh, mountain fortresses, would continue to be in conflict with the Seljuks and as well as other political forces. And despite their obvious talent in military strategy and political uh, know-how, the Nizaris were still vastly outnumbered and would have never survived a full-on open battle or, or war in that sense. And it's for this reason that the Nizaris started to apply some more, you could say, unique strategies for turning the tide in their favor. Enter the Assassins. The so-called assassins, really synonymous with the Nizari Ismailis, are associated with a military strategy undertaken by the Nizaris that sent men on missions to assassinate political opponents or individuals who had posed a serious threat to the Nizari state. The word assassins is today, of course, used as a general term for anyone who commits sanctioned murder, but the term actually originates as a term for this specific group of Nizaris. There has been a general tendency to connect this word etymologically to the word hashashin, meaning those who smoke hashish. This is then connected to a common story that the Nizari assassins would smoke hashish as part of their practice. But most historians today agree that this is not accurate, but rather a result of later misinformation. The actual origins of the word isn't really known. It's a topic of discussion still. It may have originated with the word hashashin, referring to the smoking of hashish, but this was then probably used in a derogatory way, and it has been used in that way historically for a very long time. But the word could also originally have been connected to the word assassiyun in Arabic, which means the people of principle. Others have even suggested it, that it may be connected to the name Hassan, as in Hassan Sabah, who the assassins were followers of. Nonetheless, the name assassins usually refers to this entire group of Nizari Ismailis who had their base in Alamut, and not necessarily to the particular people who were, well, assassins based on the modern use of that word. Instead, the term that would have been used at the time to refer to these particular individuals who took on secret missions of political murder was fidai, meaning those who sacrificed themselves. Because indeed, taking on such a mission to kill high-ranking political opponents who were often surrounded by guards, in most cases meant almost certain death. These fidais, or fidayin, were usually young men devoted to the Ismaili cause of Hassan Sabah and later the Nizari imams, and were given great honors for their sacrifices. 
Many stories are told about these Fida'i and their many assassinations, how they terrorized the whole Middle East through their activities. Many of these stories are legendary tales told by the Crusaders and other outsiders and often present a rather ahistorical or skewed version of events, much of which has nonetheless become common knowledge, including the part about smoking hashish. But it is certainly true that these fida'is and their method of assassination became a key strategy for the Nizaris at this time. They would be sent on missions to kill political opponents or other general people who had posed a serious threat to the Nizari state in various ways. To get close to some of these people, the Fida'i sometimes had to disguise themselves and infiltrate the circles of important people in order to go undetected. They could, for example, enter into service as slaves or servants of a target, biding their time for a very long time until the right moment to strike presented itself. A lot of the time, these Fida'is were immensely successful. They even managed to assassinate the Fatimid Caliph Imam Al-Amir bi Akhamullah and even two Abbasid Caliphs, Al-Mustarshid and later his son Ar-Rashid. The very high success rate, as well as the while not entirely a unique but certainly unusual methods, managed to strike fear into their enemies at the time, who often responded very harshly by doing things like massacring the Ismaili communities or Ismaili populations in certain cities that they were ruling. Most of these fida'i were dispatched from Alamut by Hassan Sabah and his successors, including the new uh, Nizari imams who would uh, appear as um, leaders shortly thereafter. But a lot of activity also took place in Syria, that other major region of influence for the Nizaris at the time. And it is here that we really start to see some strong connections to Assassin's Creed. The Nizaris in Syria used similar military techniques as their leaders in Persia had by conquering several mountain fortresses, including the great stronghold of Masyaf. And it is here that, from the 1160s, the Nizaris managed to establish themselves more firmly under the leadership of a very significant figure, Rashid ad-Din Sinan, referred to in Crusader accounts as the Old Man of the Mountain, or in terms of the video game, Al-Mu'allim. I send you, my best man, to complete a mission more important than any that has come before. And you return to me with nothing but apologies and excuses. Sinan was so powerful and successful that he and his Syrian community almost became entirely independent from the imams in Alamut. It was under the leadership of Rashid ad-Din that the Syrian Ismailis, the Syrian assassins in other words, reached the height of their power. From the mountain fortress of Masyaf, he would conduct the activities of the Syrian Nizari state as well as dispatch Fida'is to go on missions of assassination. The political situation of this community was perhaps even more complex than that of Alamut. The Crusades were in full force in this region, with Crusaders and Templars fighting with various Muslim forces, including the newly emerging Salahedin, or Saladin, and his armies. Rashid ad-Din would take various positions in this chaos, sometimes being on friendly terms with the Franks who ruled in Jerusalem, at other times aligning himself with Saladin. On various occasions, assassinations took place on people of all kinds of affiliations, many of which were directly attributed to Rashid ad-Din and his assassins. 
Saladin himself was attacked on two occasions by Fidais, but survived both assassination attempts. Another very famous event took place in April 1192, when the new Frankish king of Jerusalem, Marquis Conrad of Monteferrat, was assassinated in Tyre. The assassins had disguised themselves as Christian monks, and gotten close to the king by earning his confidence before, well, murdering him. While the perpetrators have never been determined definitively, many accounts suggest that this was indeed the work of Fidais sent by the old man of the mountain. It is interesting that while Rashid Adin would align himself with various different uh, forces, including the uh, Crusaders or the Franks in Jerusalem, the Nizaris in Syria always seemed to have kind of a hard time with the Templars in particular. The Knights Templar was a Christian military order of basically mercenaries that participated in the Crusades and defended Jerusalem from Muslim invasion. And even when the Nizaris tried to be on friendly terms with the Franks in Jerusalem, the Templars would hinder these processes. The Nizaris, also called assassins, often clashed with the Templars in military battles and during some periods had to pay monetary tribute to them. This general conflict can be seen, for example, in an event when an emissary was sent by Rashid ad-Din to King Amalric in Jerusalem to negotiate peace. After the negotiations seemed to have gone well, the Templars were so angered that they ambushed and killed the emissary on his return journey. All of this is, of course, especially interesting when compared with the uh, famous video game series, where the conflict between the assassins and the Templars is kind of the main story beat throughout all of the games. It's like the main conflict in the entire series. This conflict is, of course, hugely um, exaggerated, uh, and, and a lot of creative freedom has gone into this, but we can see from the historical context that it is at least somewhat based on a real a very tense relationship between the assassins in, 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 in Syria and the Templars. Rashid ad-Din Sinan died in 1193, likely of natural causes. He didn't, like the Mu'allim of the games, turn evil and hypnotize an entire city. Instead, he is widely remembered as one of the most significant leaders in the history of Ismailism, having established a strong Nizadi state in Syria, as well as furthering the tactic of deploying fidais, or assassins, to perform political murder. The assassins, or more properly called fidai in this context, are legendary at this point, and rightfully so. Over the course of the Alamut period of Nizari Ismailism, they carried out a number of assassinations on high-ranking political opponents, from judges to governors, sultans, and even caliphs, as we have seen. They would use clever techniques of infiltration, disguising themselves as monks, as servants, or infiltrating the inner circles of their targets and biding their time before striking. Some of the leaders of the Nizaris, like Hassan Sabah in Alamut and Rashid ad-Din in Syria and in uh, the fortress of Masyaf, has also become legendary figures. They are often portrayed as kind of cold, calculating military leaders, but we have to remember that most accounts and most stories that we have of these figures come from um, political opponents, they come from crusaders or by other Muslims, uh, only by people basically who saw them as either political opponents or as heretics. And so a lot of the portrayals of these individuals should of course be taken with a grain of salt as they are most likely very skewed. 
So we should try to look past these very biased depictions of these individuals. We mustn't forget that Hassan Sabah was also an intellectual, a philosopher who wrote treatises on Ismaili esoteric doctrine. And similar things can also be said about the old man of the mountain. These mountain fortresses often housed great libraries that contained books on various philosophical, religious, and scientific subjects. As we saw earlier, Nasir al-Din Atuzi, one of the greatest scientists and scholars in the history of the Islamic world, spent several decades in Alamut under the patronage of the Nizari Imam and studied in the library there. Sadly, all of this material was destroyed when the Mongols invaded in 1256. They managed finally to conquer Alamut, they burned down the library, they destroyed the mountain fortresses, and thus ended the period known as the Alamut period, and thus also the period of the famous assassins. But the story lives on despite all of this, not only in legendary chronicles of the time, but also in the popular media of today, like for example in the Assassin's Creed games, even though the story there is of course greatly exaggerated and altered. And even such a thing as the word itself, assassin, has become a standard word in the English lexicon referring to any kind of sanctioned murder. It's always very interesting to see how such an everyday word has very fascinating origins in a particular religious movements of Shia'i Muslims in the Middle Ages, who became so strongly associated with the Fida'is and their techniques of murder that they were to give name to the entire concept. A lot of everyday, obvious things that we don't think about can sometimes have very strong and interesting connections to religions and religious history. I'll see you next time. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.